0: When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans.
1: Thank you so much, and welcome to Growing Your Wealth, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the expert, Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian?
2: Doing great. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Always glad to hear that, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We certainly do appreciate them being with us here on the Growing Your Wealth Show. We're here for you every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education it is always we do love hearing from you getting your emails and you can send us your questions your comments about the shows movie suggestions for things that you want to hear about at madronafinancial.com also the telephone number for questions 844 madrona On today's show, Brian, we're going to be talking about charitable gifting. We'll be talking about cruts and crats, and we'll also be talking about donating appreciated non-qualified property, donor-advised funds, donating real estate, stocks, and a lot more. But let's start with that funny term, cruts and crats. I noticed the three common elements to both of those is CRT. I would imagine that that means charitable remainder trust.
2: Yeah, that's right, Jeff. So I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, there are many different ways to give to charity. The most basic is you write them a check. you know, know, or give them some cash. That you can do. But what I'm I'm going to be talking about is where you want to give to charity with other purposes in mind. And so it might be uh, for tax advantage purposes, as this one is. And this one also does different things too. But you're right, the CRT, Charitable Remainder Trust. And what that indicates is remainder means remaining after you pass away. So there is two things to a gift, potentially to a charity. One part, part A, might be the income that a investment can get while you're live. And the other part is what's remaining after you pass away. So that's the CRT in each. But these are somewhat different. So what it is on a charitable remainder unit trust, basically, this is where somebody has an appreciated piece of real estate or stock or something that's gone up in value. And they want to give part of it to charity. In this case, they want to give whatever's left after they pass away. But they need the income while they're alive from their asset, but they want to sell their appreciated property. So let's say they had some raw land and they wanted to sell it, but there's going to be a big gain. What they might do is put this property into the trust. The trust can sell it and pay no income tax. So let's say it's a million-dollar piece of property. They put it in the trust. They sell it million dollars after tax. Great. And then they take that money and they reinvest it into other investments, stocks, bonds, real estate, REITs, whatever. And so there's an income produced from that. With a charitable remainder unit trust, they're going to get the income for the rest of their life. And then they can either take just the income or a percentage. They also got a big tax deduction when they put this asset into the trust. And when it was sold, they didn't pay any tax. So all these are really great benefits. The negative to this for them would be upon their passing, whatever's left in that trust would then go to charity. So that's the charitable remainder unit trust. So they're retaining the income part, but giving up the inheritance part. That part can no longer go to their heirs. It would go to the charity. So that's a
1: CRUT, a C-R-U-T, but we also mentioned CRAT. What's the difference between a CRUT and a CRAT?
2: Okay, well, in the CRUTS example, uh, the person that owned the property gets a benefit and the charity does. In the next example, we're going to have a situation where the heirs get a benefit and the charity gets a benefit, but not the owner of the property. So in this case, let's say that you have this million-dollar piece of raw land and you want to sell it with no gain and you don't need the income from it. You're doing fine. You never needed the income. It was raw land. You're doing fine, but you want to leave something for your heirs. So in this case, you could put it in the trust, the trust sells it, no taxable gain, reinvest it, and the charity gets the income for the rest of your life. Upon your passing, whatever's left in that goes to your heirs. So there's three parties involved here. We got the charity, your heirs, and you. In the case of the CRUT, it helped you with the cash flow, the charity with the remainder. In the case of the crat, it helped the charity with the income, and your heirs with the remainder
1: so the crut is charitable remainder unit trust and the crat is charitable remainder annuity trust charitable remainder annuity trust okay so that's a crut and crat so, Brian, it sounds like there are a lot of benefits to cruts and kratz. Why would someone not want to do this? What are some of the detriments?
2: Yeah, some of the detriments are this is complicated. <laughs> you know, probably half the people are going, what are you talking about, kratz and kratz?" Uh, I'm having trouble keeping up with that. I apologize for that. But they are complicated. Another thing is every year, the trust, because it's an irrevocable trust, it's its own entity, it's required to file an income tax return. So there are some cost to that. So, that can be a negative. Uh, Another negative is you've got to set up the trust. So, there's an attorney involved. And so, you have CPA and attorney costs. And basically, the the big detriment, and and this may be okay for you, again, with the CRUT, you're not leaving any assets to your heirs from this particular asset. You're getting income, and the charity's getting the remainder. So, you're not leaving anything for your heirs. With the CRAT, you don't personally get the income because the charity does. So you're giving that up. So like we always say, there's, there's positives and negatives to everything. But if you're saying, well, I don't need the income or my kids don't need to inherit this particular asset and you have a charitable intent and appreciated asset that you don't want to pay taxes on, this can be a very good uh, solution for you.
1: Brian, you mentioned income there. How much of an income can I expect from a crat?
2: Well, that's where you start getting in the weeds a little bit. We can, uh, when you set this up, you can say, okay, I want the charity to just receive the actual income, the interest and dividends. So depending on how you're invested, let's say you put it all in a Berkshire Hathaway stock, it's going to be nothing because it doesn't pay a dividend. But if you have dividend paying stocks and, and bonds that pay interest and REITs that pay rental income, then that can be distributed. Uh, alternatively, you can pick a percentage. You can just say, okay, I want 5% a year of whatever's in there to go, regardless of what the income or growth is. And so you can do a a fixed percentage that will affect your tax deduction because one of the benefits, as I mentioned, was when you put this asset in, let's say you put the million dollar asset into the trust, you get a tax deduction. You do not get a million dollar tax deduction. You get the present value of the actuarially computed value in the future. So you'll get a percentage of that less than half as a tax deduction, but it's still a tax deduction.
1: So, Brian, all this sounds interesting. Who is this best suited for, the CRUT strategy? We'll start with that.
2: Yeah, this strategy is best suited. First off, you need to have uh, appreciated assets such as real estate or stock. Now, I would contend probably it's best if you have real estate, you might want to do a Delaware Statutory Trust instead because that's a lot easier to set up than a, than a CRUT or a crat. But if you have appreciated stock and you have a charitable intent and your heirs are going to get enough assets, you believe, at your passing from your other assets, that's who the CRUT would be most applicable for. All right.
1: So that's the CRUT. Now, who is the strategy of a CRAT best suited for?
2: Yeah. Again, you've you've got a situation where you have a highly appreciated asset and you want to leave money to your, your kids. and they and you don't need the income while you're alive. So you're 80 years old, you're 75 years old, whatever. And you're going, I got plenty of money. I can't spend what I have. I got plenty of income. I do have a charitable intent. I would like to, while I'm alive, see my church or my university or or my favorite charity, whatever that is, be receiving money every month from or every year From this trust while I'm alive. I think that would be a great thing. And I still want to leave whatever's left to my kids. So that's where it would be best for someone in that situation.
1: So, Brian, as with all things, I think most people are concerned about taxes. What are the tax benefits of a crut and a crat?
2: Well, with a crut and a crat, uh, as I mentioned, you get a charitable deduction of some percentage of the asset that you put in and there is no taxation on the sale. There is going to be taxation though as as you receive money in a crut, as you receive income over your lifetime. There would not be in a crat because the charity is receiving the, the income in that case. But certainly sometimes the tax effects of selling an asset, let's say you sold the asset and just paid the tax, if you had a million dollar gain on this asset, well, gosh, you're going to be in an upper bracket. You know, there's going to be really high taxes to pay because it's all bunched up at once. At least with with the the CREAT, you can spread that taxable income over time the income that you're receiving annually.
1: And Brian, you said this is a somewhat complicated process. How would I go about setting up a crut or a crat if I wanted to?
2: Yeah, the first thing I would do is determine whether it's it's appropriate or not. As I mentioned, you know, here I talk about this stuff and I say you can do that for highly appreciated real estate. But again, you may want to do a DST instead because a DST allows you to get the step up in basis someday. So no one will ever pay the income tax that way. And if you were getting the income from that, you can always turn around and give that income to a charity while you're living if you wanted to. So you have maybe a little bit more flexibility with a DST, but depending on your situation, I mean, that's why we do free financial plans and so forth, and we talk about these things. These are, again, somewhat complex, and you may not want that level of complexity but I just wanted to bring it up in this segment because people may have heard the term. And hopefully, you know, if, if you understood, you know, 3% of it after listening to me, maybe you're up to 7% now of, of understanding it. You need a few passes through because it's complicated. But, you know, definitely uh, everybody's situation is a little bit different. But it's good to at least have the knowledge and, and be able to have the conversation about it.
1: We're talking about tax advantage, charitable gifting strategies here on Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. In this segment, we talked about cruts and kratz. If you'd like to know more about cruts and kratz and charitable gifting, of course, give the firm a call at 844-MADRONA and ask your questions. And by the way, if you have at least $500,000 or more to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, also call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A, or you can also go online to the website, which is madronafinancial.com, and request your plan from there. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much for making us a part of your weekend. When we come back, we're going to be talking about donating appreciated non-qualified property. All that and more when our show continues after this.
0: You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now,
2: here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about donating appreciated non-qualified assets.
1: All right, Brian, and qualified, non-qualified assets, what is the difference between those two?
2: Yeah, when you think about it, you, know, you say the word non-qualified. Non-qualified, that doesn't sound good. Is that like an antimatter? I mean, what, <laughs> what is it you're talking about, Brian? Yeah. Uh, it is kind of a strange term, and you know, it's not very intuitive. Uh, non-qualified essentially means it's not in an IRA account. Okay. You know, IRA accounts, you have generally no tax basis. It hasn't been taxed yet, so they can grow tax-deferred. These are called qualified accounts, so your IRA, 401k, those kinds of things are qualified accounts, meaning they're qualified to continue to not pay tax as they grow, but you pay tax when you move that money out of the qualified account into your bank account. Non-qualified assets are non-IRA accounts, so that's really all we're talking about when we say non-qualified
1: All right. You talked about assets. Now, those assets define the assets. What sort of things can they be?
2: Yeah. Let's let's talk about things that can appreciate. Cash cannot appreciate, but your stock can. So it could be a stock portfolio. Your real estate can. So it could be a real estate portfolio. Those are the two most common assets outside of a retirement account that you may have paid X for, and now it's worth many times X currently. Could real estate be part of your uh, assets here too? Absolutely. So real estate, again, very common. And not only do we have with real estate, it's a little different. You know, with a stock, if you paid 100000 for it and now it's worth a million, okay. But with real estate, if you paid 100000 for it, that's not your basis anymore because you've been depreciating it. Your basis is actually much lower. So your taxation would be even higher potentially when you sell it. So we have something called depreciation uh, muddying things up too.
1: Okay, so you can donate real estate, you can donate stocks, bonds, other debt instruments. I would imagine that mutual funds, what is their gamut of the things that you can donate?
2: Yeah, pretty much anything that's not in a retirement account that's gone up in value. And the point of this is, you know, you could say, well, why don't I just sell it and give them the money? Okay, let's let's run through an example. Let's say two people each had a hundred thousand dollars stock, and they both bought Microsoft on day one. So their cost basis was about eight cents. So nothing. Uh, their their gain is the hundred thousand dollars. Well, the first person said, "Well, I I sold my Microsoft, and then I paid uh, twenty three thousand eight hundred dollars in tax because I was at the highest bracket, and then I took the remaining, uh, you know, seventy six thousand dollars." And gave it to the charity, and I got a seventy-six thousand dollar deduction for that. But I paid, you know, tw- almost twenty-four thousand in tax. Charity got seventy-six. I'm like, oh, well, uh, my client, on the other hand, would have come to me before they gave that money and said, what do you suggest? And we would have given it directly. So when sh- that person gave it directly, the charity received a hundred thousand of stock, sold it for a hundred thousand. Pays no income tax. So the charity gets a hundred grand instead of seventy six. My client didn't pay any tax and got a deduction for the hundred thousand instead of seventy six thousand. So they got more money back from the IRS. And the charity got more money. The IRS lost in this case because of good tax planning. And then there's another benefit because in this example, the person that showed the $100,000 of gain on their tax return, well, that may have made their itemized deductions less deductible. That may mean that since their income's higher, they're in a higher bracket. That may mean that next year when they compute their Medicare expense, that that tax goes up. So there's a lot of negatives that can happen when you throw a big number on your tax return. So there's a ton of potential tax benefits if you plan on giving appreciated property directly to a charity by doing it direct as opposed to taking it, selling it, and giving them what's left.
1: Brian, all this sounds great, but the big question I have, is there any sort of minimum to the amount of securities or the value of real estate that I can donate or maximum?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. The minimum will depend on the charity themselves. If they're set up to receive stock, then really probably not. You know, If you're going to give them $100 worth of stock, then I'd say, well, just sell it and give them some money or whatever. But generally, we're talking about somewhat larger gifts, of course. And so the minimum, again, is just based on the charity. Now, the maximum, that's kind of an interesting thing. Early in my career, one of my first tax returns I looked at, it was huge – Because it had an appraisal, somebody was giving, I think, 13 acres of Bellevue waterfront real estate to the (laughs) city. I bet they wish they had that back now (laughs) because this was, I don't know, uh, 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And at the time, it was worth nine million dollars, and they thought, "Well, gosh, if we give this away, and it's worth nine million now, it's probably worth nine hundred million. I don't know, but nine million at the time, we're never going to pay taxes again as long as we live." Well, hold up a sec. There is a limitation when you gift appreciated property, and let's say your your taxable income is a hundred grand. He thought, "Well, I get a, I can just." take a hundred grand deduction every year and carry it forward, right? No, you can only take thirty percent of your adjusted gross income for that. So they got a thirty thousand dollar deduction if their income was a hundred grand every year because the the donation will carry forward, but they weren't be able to offset all of their income. Most charitable donations, you can offset up to fifty percent of your adjusted gross income, but by donating appreciated property that number drops to thirty percent with the rest carrying over to future years.
1: So, Brian, what if I think the securities that I'm donating are still a good investment?
2: Okay, well, that's a good question because let's say, uh, I'll do another example here. Let's say you had $100,000 of that Microsoft. You think, oh, Microsoft's a great company, and you had $100,000 In cash and you were planning on giving the charity a hundred grand. Well, why don't I just write them a check? Well, you could do that, but then when you sell your Microsoft someday, you've got still got a hundred thousand dollar gain to deal with. So in this case, well, one strategy might be why don't I gift the Microsoft stock? The charity sells it, they pay the tax on it, which their tax rate is zero. They don't pay any tax on the sale of it, and then take your hundred thousand dollars, buy Microsoft stock with it, and now you still have the hundred thousand. Microsoft but your Microsoft now has a cost basis of 100 grand instead of a cost basis of 8 cents in our example here and so when you eventually sell it, that 100000 of gain has been uh, eliminated by shifting it to the charity, and the charity doesn't pay any tax on it. So there was a uh, I really like that question because it gave me an opportunity to talk about a strategy where mm-hmm. uh, if you had cash and you had appreciated stock, about how you might look at the gifting a little bit different than you would have otherwise. Because normally you just say, well, I have hundred grand, I want to give my hundred grand, I think I'll just write the check because I like my stock. But we just had a little paradigm shift to go go on there that says, well, maybe I'll give the the stock instead and uh, use the money to rebuy, repurchase the stock I liked in the first place.
1: Brian, what if the stock I own is in certificate form and I want to donate fewer shares than represented on that certificate?
2: Yeah, uh, people I know that – and it's less and less these days. It used to be, you know, people brought in their stock certificates all the time. Sure. And uh, they still do sometimes. Is this worth anything? And I look it up and, no, this company doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) Uh, They pick them up at estate sales or whatever and and so forth. But uh, I think you have some old stock, don't you? Uh,
1: I do. I have uh, defunct auto manufacturers. I've got Studebaker, a lot of things like that. They're fun to look at. They're not worth anything. But, yeah, it is rare to have them in that form.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you you can have those – and what we recommend to most people is uh, that they get those converted to electronic ownership. So we can go through a process working with a custodian such as Schwab or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade, those kinds of companies, and they can cancel the certificate and make it into electronic format. I kind of like certificates, but anymore, that's not how things are done. And so then once it's in electronic format, then you can trade any, any amount of that stock that you want.
1: So, Brian, again, this sounds like a great strategy, but what are some of the strategy detriments? Why would I not want to do this?
2: Well, uh, you're giving money away, and it's not yours. You can't have a take back. You, might, you mm-hmm. can't give the 100,000 Microsoft shares away and go a year later, go, I wish I had that money back. I think <laughs> I'll call a charity and go, go ask for it back. And uh, once your kids find out, they might be, "Hey, I thought you were gonna leave that to me someday." You know, well, I, I thought the charity'd do better than you because you keep talking about tricking out your car uh, with any money that you get. So, <laughs> you know, so it's not available to you for you, or and it's not available to your heirs. It's going to the charity. That's that's a detriment. It's also a positive if you really believe in your charity. So that's not necessarily always a detriment. And the other thing is, there should be some tax planning around that. As I mentioned, for larger gifts, you may have limitations on how much of that gift you can claim on a particular tax return. So you might want to time a gift. Let's say you had a a tax year, you're selling your business uh, in a particular year, it's going to put you in a really high bracket, and you wanted to give to charity. Rather than give that appreciated asset away in a low taxable income year, probably wait and match it up with a higher tax income year so you can get a bigger bang for the buck on your charitable donation deduction.
1: Brian, what if I have physical assets? Let's say that someone gave me a Honus Wagner baseball card or some, you know, valuable coins, or I bought a 57 Chevy back in 1960, you know, for 500 bucks, worth $50,000 today.
2: Can I do that? Yeah, well, that's very interesting because, you know, collectibles have a different, gosh, everything has a different tax rate anymore. I guess that's why the tax code is so big. Uh, Collectibles have a different potential tax rate. It's higher than the typical capital gains rate. So this is now we're getting, it's 28% instead of... Uh, well, the capital gains rate for most people is 15%, unless it's not, and it's 20%, unless it's not, and it's 23.8%, depending on things. And and then, of course, with changes in the tax law, that could be going up, and the Washington State could have theirs add to that, depending on the type of asset. So it gets pretty complicated. Now i got to throw in a different rate for collectibles. And so this is where we want to involve the CPA firm. So depending on your situation, before uh, you give any gifts, this is where we'd want to make sure that we've, we've looked up all the nuances of your particular asset to find out what the effect would be if you gift that.
1: We've been talking about donating appreciated non-qualified property here with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, questions about doing that, 844-MADRONA. And as always, if you have at least $500,000 to invest, you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, give Madrona Financial Services a chance to show you what they can do by calling 844-MADRONA, or you can request your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation plan online at madronafinancial.com you're listening to growing your wealth. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this. You can't
0: build a house with just one tool and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona financial services at 844 Madrona or go to madronafinancial.com.
2: Now back to more of growing your wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about donor advised funds. Well, first of all,
1: Brian, I think a lot of people who maybe have heard of donor advised funds, but don't know exactly what they are. So what is, by definition, a donor advised fund?
2: Yeah, we've been talking about different charitable gifting strategies, whether it's a charitable unit trust where uh, you receive the income from the sale of an asset during your lifetime and the remainder goes to a charity, a charitable annuity trust where the charity receives the income from an asset and then your heirs get The the remaining after that, we've talked about donating appreciated property. We'll be talking about donating directly from your IRA uh, to satisfy your required minimum distributions. So just different different techniques, not involving a straight cash gift. I'm just talking about different strategies. Sometimes they have tax benefits to them. Most most commonly they do. That's why we're talking about them on the show here. So this this is just another one of those. So a donor advised fund is essentially a technique where I I think the best way is an example. Let's say that somebody was giving away $10,000 a year to charity. That was their plan, and they plan on doing that for the next 10 years. When they do their tax return, if their house is paid for and they do their itemized deductions, they're thinking, well, I I get a a deduction for the $10,000. Well, not so fast. It's probably, you know, you may be in a situation where your standard deduction is higher than your itemized deductions. So even though you're giving $10,000 to charity – and you put it on your tax return, it doesn't give you any benefit. You don't lower your taxes by that. You think, well, that kind of stinks. I'm gonna give away $100,000 over the next 10 years, and I get no tax deduction for that? Yeah, that's right. So you might consider doing a donor-advised fund. So in this case, if you had the wherewithal, you could front-load it, and let's say put all $100,000 into a fund, take the deduction for the 100000 all at once by loading it up together, but give the money over time to the charities that you had selected. So they receive the money over time, but you got, again, to front-end load your tax deduction as it relates to that charitable donation.
1: Okay, Brian, so this is called a donor
2: advised fund. So what does the advised part mean? Yeah, the advice part is essentially the control feature as to where the money goes because it's really uh, not necessarily stated on day one. You have put the money into this fund, but you haven't said it's all going to go to XYZ Charity. Or charities. So there's an advice aspect of this. And this is where it gets a little more cloudy because you have to be working with an institution that can accept these advised funds. You can go through custodians. Certainly the big custodians have them, uh, Fidelity and Schwab and TD Ameritrade. They all have access to that. And they might have a certain list of funds that uh, charities that they work with where you can donate to. The charity uh, that you want to give directly to might have some established for that purpose, and so uh there there is an advised standpoint to this because again the money doesn't go directly to the charity it's in an investment account for a period of time and spread over time where the actual gifts are being made so that's that's where the advised part comes into play here.
1: So is there an advantage to strategically timing your donations? As you said, I mean, you can donate $10,000 a year versus $100,000 all at once. Does this have an advantage?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned in my example, I mean, in you know, the first example where you're spreading it out over time, uh, your charitable donations, you may not get any tax advantage. Whereas, let's say you're you're in the, oh, I don't know, 32% tax bracket, and you're able to bunch it all up, and you're able to get a $32,000 refund from the IRS. Well, I'd like $100,000 to go to charity if I can get $32,000 back, perhaps. It beats uh, giving 100000 to charity and getting nothing back in taxes. Mm-hmm. So I, as a CPA and as a, a good American, I, I think it's <laughs> my obligation is to take advantage of the tax as as they're written and to advise my clients accordingly. So that's why we're talking about donor advice funds in that, you know, this isn't for everybody. I mean, certainly some of these uh, strategies we're talking about are somewhat esoteric. They're not going to apply to a whole lot of people, but uh, more knowledge is better than less. So we'll just keep hammering away at all these charitable donating uh, strategies, Mm -hmm. this being one of them as a possibility to improve your tax situation.
1: Well, Brian, while the uh, advantages that you've talked about here might want to make some people jump right into a donor-advised fund right now, there are some disadvantages worth uh, considering. First, I know that every situation is going to be different. So what are some of the reasons why you would not want to use a donor-advised fund?
2: Yeah, well, one of the main reasons is, is oh, that sounds great, but I was giving 10000 away to charity here because I had 10000 come in each year. I don't have $100,000 to do all at once. So there'd be a, an obvious one. You just don't have the a, a big amount all at once. And maybe your tax situation is such where you are getting the benefit of the tax deductions as you go. So there's another one. Uh, the control feature. You give up some control by putting it into a fund. Uh, you give up some control about how you can invest that money, certainly, too. And so that can be an aspect of this you may want to consider. Again, there's going to be some research on your part to find either the custodian with the charities that you want to give to or working with a particular charity, their ability to you know use a donor advised fund in your situation. Some have that ability, some do not. So there's a little bit more work on your end to do things. But I think the biggest, again, the biggest disadvantage might be is that you got to come up with a lot of money all at once to get a big tax deduction in the year that you want to get that tax deduction.
1: Some people want to make uh, donor-advised funds anonymously. I, I mean, is all this information available to the public?
2: Yeah, it is uh, available to the public. So that's another detriment to this, where it's, again, it's public, so you don't have your privacy protected necessarily as to how you're giving. Uh, but you're right, a lot of people want to have their right hand give and their left hand not know it. Uh, I think yeah. it's, it's something like that. Sure. It says in the in the Bible there, and yeah. and so yeah, a lot of people would want to be private, so they might want to figure out a a different method of giving. Uh, so like we were talking about giving appreciated assets instead of cash. Well, this would be the situation of giving cash. And so there might be other uh, methods we've talked about here if you want to front-end load it. But, yeah, privacy can be a concern also.
1: Are there generally account minimums to uh, using a donor-advised fund?
2: Yeah, there's generally account minimums because as we we talk about some of these strategies like cruts and crats and appreciated property, donor-advised funds, endowment funds, scholarship funds, et cetera, uh, we're not talking a couple hundred dollars here. You know, we're, we're talking it has to be a pretty substantial gift for it to make sense, both to you and to the charity itself. So uh, more substantial gifts is what we're talking about in this situation.
1: Are there fees that are charged by the sponsors for donor advised funds?
2: Yeah, there's often fees as with everything, because somebody's going to be managing these investments uh, over time. It's invested to eventually go to a charity. And so there will be some fees that will come out depending on on who you're working with. And that's why, again, there's going to be a, a certain amount of due diligence that needs to be put into play here, whether you're going through a custodian or through the actual charity itself. And if you're going through a particular charity, you've kind of locked in probably to giving that money to them because you're not going to put the money into the Catholic donor advice fund and, and then say, yeah, no, I want it to go to the, the ACLU instead. You know, that's just not going to be a good mix.
1: Brian, if I set up a donor-advised fund, but I don't allocate my funds to a specific charity, can money essentially just linger there, not benefiting anyone?
2: Well, yeah, it can. And you know, I'm thinking of a situation where, let's say, you're older and, and you put the money in, and you know, you, you get dementia or something, and and you're not, you know keeping track of what's going on there and you didn't name a charity that it's going to wherever it's sitting it's it could just sit there and not do anybody any good so uh, certainly you can name the charity you can always change too over time if 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 that uh, comes to play uh, in certain circumstances but yeah I mean generally I would think that most people though that that do these would have in mind who they want that money to go to there's some flexibility that can that could happen. But if you don't name anybody, there is that risk that, you know, something happens to you or this stuff just kind of get lost in the in the shuffle here and, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah,
1: I was reading that there is more than $110 billion sitting in donor advised funds right now already given by donors, but not distributed to charity. So that is something that's very important to consider. All this, again, sounds like a great idea, Brian. If I want to set up a donor-advised fund, how would I go about doing that?
2: Yeah, with all of our financial planning questions, we uh, run people through a financial plan and have a discussion about it because, you know, the discussion, what's interesting about all these things that we talk about, like I might be talking about a certain topic and somebody come in. Yeah, I want to talk about opportunity zones. Great. Let's talk about them. In the end, they go, oh, I ended up wanting to do a DST, not an OZ at all. I'm like, exactly. Mm-hmm. You might come in, uh, talk, you want to talk about donor advice fund. And we end up going, no, we're going to donate appreciated property and you're going to do this, that and the other instead. Oh, OK. So, it you know, the, the conversation can start with any of these topics. And, and the goal is to dial into what is best for you. So that's that's where we start with a financial plan, and we go over the discussion with you, get to know your situation, what you want to accomplish. Want to look at your tax return. Want to look at what your income is going to be in the future, what your brackets are going to look like. So all of this comes into play, and you don't have to come in and go yes, I want a donor advised fund or no, I don't. You just kind of, let's talk about charitable gifting and okay, what what would work out best for me? So just being armed with this information is is supremely helpful.
1: Once again, if you have questions about charitable gifting strategies and in particular donor advised funds, call Madrona Financial Services, very experienced in these particular areas. Once again, that number 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A. You can also get more information online by going to madronafinancial.com. And also, if you have $500,000 or more to invest and you would like a second look at your financial plan, you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, call 844-MADRONA for a complimentary no-cost, no-obligation review. 844-MADRONA or online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. We'll be right back with more of our show after this.
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about endowment funds and scholarship funds.
1: And Brian, rather than giving money to a charity's general fund, often people want to give for a recurring purpose or they have a gift that gives for many years, and that could be an endowment or a scholarship fund. Is an endowment and
2: a scholarship fund basically the same thing? Uh, Not necessarily. So the endowment fund is meant to live in perpetuity or for a long period of time. So, for instance, there might be a situation where uh, upon somebody passing, they, they don't want, you know, let's say they had a sizable estate and they want to give it to charities and they want their name to kind of live on. They want their gift to live on. They don't want to just give the charity a whole bunch of money all at once and that's it. Uh, There's kind of a legacy aspect of knowing that, hey, 20 years after I'm gone, I'll be helping someone with new money created from my gift upon my passing or when I was alive. And so the endowment fund is set up essentially as an investment account. And there's two ways that uh, money can be distributed from it. The most common way, is the earnings on the investment account? So let's say the interest and dividends and rental income from the REITs and so forth was four uh, percent that year. They'll give four percent, and the principal is untouched in that case. The other situation is where the endowment person says, "Like I'm, I don't know if it's going to earn six percent a year, but I want six percent to go. It will dissipate over time. Some years it'll be up, most years it'll be down, but over time it'll it'll eventually uh, liquidate." but it will stick around for a long time and so that's another way you can set up an endowment fund to keep giving gifts long after you've gone or during your lifetime
1: all right well let's say i want to set up a scholarship fund maybe to my alma mater or maybe you know minor league baseball players who don't make enough money to live and and, you know and i want to donate money to them so that they can buy the things that they need how would i set up a scholarship fund
2: yeah, a scholarship fund is—that is one difference. A scholarship fund is already set up, and different people are donating to it, whereas your endowment— Uh, maybe it's set up, maybe it's not. It could be just your own endowment. So you can contribute to a charity's endowment fund. But a lot of times what I've seen is somebody pass away, they have their own endowment fund set up with their own rules as to how it's being distributed and for what purpose, as opposed to a scholarship fund. So for instance, and now a scholarship fund can be already set up again where you're just donating to it or, or it can be an individualized thing. So my own example, I remember walking through the halls of Todd Hall in the business department at Washington State University and I was a, a freshman and I noticed something on the wall and said okay it was a, a scholarship and it was for entrepreneurs and I was like wow uh, but I have to write a paper about my future plans being an entrepreneur I don't have time for that I got finals coming up in a month I I'm really busy and I I Took a, a picture of it and, well, I, I don't know. I probably didn't take a picture. I probably grabbed a, a copy of it there. Yeah. And I, I thought about it. And I go, well, I got to at least try because uh, the, the scholarship was two years' tuition. Wow. And I was like, well, I got at least put it for some effort. So I wrote this paper and I had the English majors on my dorm floor review it and I got it, you know, I didn't I didn't have a typewriter or a computer. It was handwritten. Wow. And uh, I went up there and and uh handed it in and, and I said, gosh, i bet there's a lot of people applying for this. It's two full year scholarship. <laughs> and the lady looks at me and she goes, Uh well uh because it was the day it was due. And right. I and I said well a lot of people must be applying. She goes, Well, so far you're the second. (laughs) And I said, aren't they giving away two of them? and she goes yep and i like your chances <laughs> so i'll never forget that of course i won <laughs> amazingly enough right. but what's yeah. funny is it was a you know a, a paper on being a entrepreneur someday mm-hmm. and the people that gave the scholarship you know i got to write them a nice thank you letter about it and look at me now i employ 30 plus people i'm quite right. an entrepreneur so it worked out great for me so i think about that and i'm on the board of the washington state uh, university everett campus satellite campus and And I was asked by the president of WSU to uh, two of us were asked to start a scholarship fund for for that, that people could contribute to with uh, the goal of giving scholarships to first uh, generation college kids in the Pacific Northwest, the the, uh, nearby counties. Uh, Skagit, Snohomish counties, and that we would uh, be providing scholarships, again, for first generation people whose family had never had anybody go to university. And I thought, well, what a great way to give back. And so in this case, sure, I could give money to a charity and all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. it kind of touched me that I could be participating in a scholarship fund. And so this is just, I wanted to bring this up in this uh, segment to to say, all right, you can be participating in something that you believe in and see it work for people. People during your lifetime by contributing in different ways. Can you be the sole donor of a scholarship fund, or does it always have to be a group of people? Yeah, you can be the sole donor. So, in the case of the one that I received, there was a sole donor. It was a, a couple that had donated uh, the the scholarship money uh, for this. Now, in the case of the WSU Everett Scholarship Fund, uh, it's it's one fund that people are they're trying to collect money in every year. To build it up so that it will be kind of like an endowment fund where it will have enough money in it to where they can distribute the earnings from it and they can live on. It's not just I put money in and they gave it away. It, it was meant to be, become kind of an endowment fund. And that's why it's taken the collective uh, donations of many different people to try and build it up for that purpose.
1: If I'm funding a scholarship, do I have any opportunity to uh, be involved in the selection process of who receives it?
2: Uh, you may or may not, depending, and that's why you may uh, set up your own. And so, if you set up your own, you say, "Look, I, I only want to give this to accounting majors, you know, uh, or whatever, or medical uh, majors." At Wsu there. Or it can be for you can allow the scholarship committee uh, based upon what you know about who they're going to give it to. You think, oh, that's really cool that they're going to give it to first generation people. I'm for that. I'm not going to pick the person. The scholarship committee is going to do that. But I know that I'm in good hands giving it to them, and they're going to do a good job of that. So it depends. I mean, certainly if you're going to give $100 uh, a year, they're not going to set up a scholarship fund for you. It's too administratively uh, unfeasible to do that. So if you had a larger amount, I'm sure the charity would consider that. But for the most part, it's best probably to let the charity themselves, or scholarship committees, smart people on there try and do the right thing. So let them decide in, in that case.
1: So Brian, we've talked a lot about the scholarship fund here. Let's go back and talk more about the endowment fund and what the difference is there.
2: Yeah, the endowment funds typically are just single uh, family endowments. So a a charity might show on their books. They might have Five or ten different endowment funds: uh, the Smith family, the Jones family, the Shade family, whatever it may be. And so uh, they they have these amounts, and each one again has a different distribution, maybe uh, or or a different uh, target market for what it should be used for. Uh, and they're meant to be either again perpetual or or uh, long lived, uh, but they have to be a larger amounts. So a lot of times, what people do with endowment funds is that might be uh, something that's set up upon their passing. So let's say that somebody is worth a lot of money and they said, all right, I got three kids. I I want uh, 20% to go, uh, 25% uh, to go to each of the three kids. Let's say my estate's worth... Ten million dollars. And I want two and a half million to go to the three kids, and I want two and a half million dollars to go to my favorite charity as an endowment gift. And that endowment gift now, let's say you said, all right, I want four four percent a year to go to the beneficiaries. So two and a half million, four percent, that's a hundred grand a year. So you know after you pass away, that charity is gonna have an extra hundred grand a year, mm-hmm. approximately, depending on how the investments go, but a hundred thousand a year to distribute for the purpose that you wanted them to distribute it to. It could be for the general fund, it could be to a scholarship fund, it could be to the building fund, you know, whatever their funds are, uh, but generally it goes to the general fund. And then the charity determines how to spend that. But it's a great legacy uh, asset. I think the scholarship is more something while you're living. You can see the, the benefits. You can see the people that received them, uh, what their plans are. That's a great way to do it while you're around. But the endowment might be something you do upon your passing unless you just load it and you want to mm-hmm. set it up now and you don't need the money. Okay, right. you can do that too.
1: As opposed to an individual doing a scholarship or an endowment fund, can I do it through my business for any number of reasons? And among them would certainly would be brand recognition and, you know, recognition from a university.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, there can be many reasons to give, uh, and and it's not always bad to have. You know, might say, "Well, isn't that kind of taking advantage of, of things?" Uh, but uh, not not necessarily because one of the things about giving, uh, let's say it's a corporate gift, and uh, it's not about necessarily just the branding part, but but letting people know that the corporations actually care. They're putting money into things, and and that maybe alerts other ones. You know, hey, they stepped up. You know, if I see the another investment advisory firm in town, you know, is giving money to different charities. I'm like, well maybe I should be part of that too, you know, I, I wanna give my fair share too. And so it just that that just the acknowledgement that uh People in the community, businesses in the community uh, care about these particular things, that can be a very good thing. So, yeah, you you absolutely can have brand recognition from that. A lot of times businesses will pass on their recognition, but sometimes it's nice to, to get the name out.
1: Well, being philanthropic, I think, is a very good thing in life. If I wanted to do something like this for myself personally or my business, how would I get started?
2: You know, a lot of people I talk to, they they uh, talk. We talk about their legacy planning and so forth, and they want to leave money to charity. I say, well, what charities do you feel passionate about? Well, I'm not really sure. So sometimes it's uh, you got to step back and go, what do I really care about? What's what's important to me? What are the charities I I really. You know get behind you know in my case it might be my university or my church or mercy watch or whatever it is mm-hmm. these different charities that that I know about and care about and so someone else it might be something different it might be the old dog haven or whatever it is sure. uh, everybody has things that they're interested in so the first thing would be kind of figure out what's important to you upon your your you know, for your legacy, whether it's your legacy while you're alive or after you passed, passed, uh, your kids, your, your nieces and nephews, extended family, your charities, which ones, how would you like to give, what's the makeup of your assets. It's all part of the uh, long-term financial plan, uh, mainly involving your estate and legacy plan.
1: We've been talking about charitable gifting strategies this week on Growing Your Wealth, and most recently hear about scholarships and endowment funds. If you have questions about that particular strategy, and you want your particular answers, call 844-MADRONA to request a complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial plan that may indeed include charitable gifting strategies. That's 844-MADRONA. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. That number and that website also works if you're looking for a complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial plan And you have at least $500,000 or more. 844-MADRONA or madronafinancial.com. Brian, out of time for this week. Want to thank you for your time. Want to thank our listeners as well, too, for spending their time with us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out there, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No
0: statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC. A licensed insurance agent and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.